Welcome to the Your Story Matters podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Mason City Schools, where we celebrate and learn from our community stories. We're so glad you've joined us today. This is Tracy Carson, the Public Information Officer at Mason City Schools, and I'm here with Mason Middle School Principal Lauren Gentine, who's headed into her second year at the helm of MMS. But this year, she gets to have all of her students and staff under one building in our new remodeled and renovated Mason Middle School. We are thrilled to have Lauren with us today. Lauren, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. You know, you're a longtime Comet. You came to Mason in fifth grade at the height of all the growth, uh, 98, was that when you? Yeah, right around Right around then. So, you know, Mason did these kind of 15 years of explosive growth beginning about 95, where we were adding about 600 students a year at that time. So you were right in the middle of all of that as a student. What was that experience like, kind of transferring into Mason, becoming, you know, we have students who do that right now who are the new kid. What was it like to be the new kid in Mason? Yeah, I am always very empathetic when I talk with families who are new to Mason just for that reason. Um, And it's funny, my my sister moved here. She was a sophomore at Mason High School. So even her experience coming through Mason was drastically different. It was still a little bit more rural. Uh, They still, I think, had like a ride your tractor to school day. Um, And then by the time I came to the high school, it looked drastically different um and the the elementary school that I grew up in was an entirely different culture so I started school in Johnson City Tennessee the school district had been rezoned my parents paid tuition for us to go to the city schools instead of the county schools so my elementary school is 98% free and reduced lunch Uh, I didn't live in the neighborhood my parents had to do all the transportation um and it was 200 kids kindergarten through fifth grade. So there were two teachers per, per grade and everybody knew each other. Everybody grew up together. Um, and then I moved here and it was just booming. And there was a lot of uh, really close knit relationships with kids who were part of that kind of original Mason uh, generational families. And then a lot of us who were kind of brand new in this sea of trying to figure out um, who's who. And so it was a it was actually a pretty difficult adjustment. I was a pretty resilient child, and I think my parents were least nervous about moving me in. I was the youngest. I had uh, a social personality, but I think it caught everybody off guard how, how difficult the transition was. And I think a lot of it was just the difference in culture um, and the difference in, in being in a city school where everybody kind of lived in the same block and played outside together, and you just kind of knew that that's what that was a part of school. You knew each other's families and then moving here and it was more suburban, things were spread out, you had to drive places. Um, All of that was just kind of a change in social dynamics and interest levels, of course. Um, When you go to school with kids who are in poverty um, and you're you're not, my family was not, um, it, it fostered this deep sense of gratitude in me and we, my parents were always really careful about um, looking left and right and not seeing ourselves as, as better, um, but just different different experience. We, are, we have different opportunities. They have different opportunities. Um, and so moving here, I didn't really, I didn't know how to position myself. I didn't know, I didn't know people's backgrounds. It was just, it was a big, it was a big change. Um, but then I, I came to Mason and uh, it was a, a much better academic experience, certainly. Um, 
but I remember my mom will tell the story, who's a, who's a teacher here in Mason, but she'll tell the story that they asked me how I liked school. And at the time I said, um, my teachers here really care that I'm learning. Um, my teachers in Tennessee really cared about me. And mm. so that was a big, that was, I think for me, the big shift. Wow, that's a that is a powerful fifth grade yeah. talk, and of course you have kind of a legendary mom. Uh, yes, you know Miss Debbie Gentine is really well known in our that's right. in our community. That had to be kind of interesting too, growing up and yeah. having people know your mom well. Yeah, you know it it was um, <laughs> it was different for sure. It probably benefited uh, when you think of like a village raising up your kids. I knew not to mess around because everybody knew her. And, uh, and she ran a tight ship. My parents ran a tight ship at home. And so I knew if I was fooling around outside of the house, it would give back to them. <laughs> yes, I can see that. But I, but she's got a little bit of your spunky. Uh, she does. So she hysterical. probably would have laughed about it later. Oh, yes, absolutely. But I, I like to tell this story about her. It, it's, um, but it goes back to our, our um, education in Tennessee. So my mom taught, uh, she had a number of different experiences while we were there, but she taught in a mall school. So she developed sort of the public high school's vocational program for at-risk children or at-risk high school students. So her classroom was an old bank renovated into a classroom at the local mall. And all the kids were essentially court appointed to go to that um, classroom. And she co-taught there with a few other people. And then they would go out and do internships in the mall or um, we had, she had a student who interned at a funeral home. And so, so she's always been kind of doing innovative things for, for a really long time. But I remember I was, I must've been maybe in a half day kindergarten or some, something like that, because I remember it was the school day, but she had picked me up. She had me climb into the trunk of the van. She drove me down into a neighborhood that was notorious for being a little bit more dangerous. She rolled down the window. She asked where her student was because he, he, if he missed one more day, he was he was going to go back into the system. They pointed down to where he was underneath a bridge. She drove down, got him in the van, and took him to school. Told me to get out of the trunk and climb climb into my seatbelt after that. So that's just kind of the, I think, <clears throat> looking back, that was such those are so, such significant moments in my journey to becoming an educator, because I saw a fuller, a more robust picture of what a teacher was doing and how teachers care for kids. Yeah. And and that they'll do anything <laughs> do to anything. make sure that they're going to succeed. I yeah. love that story. <laughs> I think uh, your mom's going to get a kick out of that too. I'm yeah. knowing what I'm sure. Um, it, I'm sure I have details wrong yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the impressions though that we leave as, as, as parents on that, you know, what kind of, what kind of student were you? Um, well, this is a scary question to ask when you grew up in Mason, because there's a lot of teachers out there who will probably like to answer this question for me. Um, I, I was a uh, student who I think always tried to get along with my teachers. Like I always craved just having a relationship and getting to know them, chit-chatting with them when I could. Um, but I did not like the routine and the practice of going to school. And I especially didn't, I, I really, like frankly, kind of grew angry. Um, I remember just deep frustration if I felt like I was doing something that didn't matter or something that I could have done without being there. And so I had this sort of perpetual system in my mind of sorting school through, is it a waste of my time or is it worth my time? And so, for example, I was the kind of kid who hated field day. 
because to me, I could have been at home playing with my friends in an unstructured way. I didn't need field day to make friends. And yet I had peers, of course, who that's, they look back and even some of my best friends that I grew up with here, that's, those are their fondest memories. Um, if I was sitting in a class and we were reading out of the textbook or we were even watching a movie, I, I know some kids like loved coming to school to watch a movie. And I often would be like, I, I could have done this at home. So I had this just like perpetual sense of, is this, do I need to be here doing this or could I be doing this somewhere else? Um, and so it kind of been that attitude for better or worse, right? There are times when I needed to have an attitude check, um, but for better or worse, it's that sort of mentality that I think propelled me into, I, I wanna be a teacher who doesn't waste kids time. I wanna be a teacher who helps kids find themselves in the classroom or find meaning. Um, I remember liking reading and not liking English class because I felt like the kids who maybe cheated, the kids who read the Sparknotes analysis would succeed in class and I would be trying to come up with my own ideas and not necessarily, and I'm sure they were poorly developed and there were plenty of reasons why I didn't find success, but I just remember um, being so frustrated by this idea of playing school instead of being there to learn. Oh, and you know, that's, that is going to be an ouch for some of us who liked playing school. Yeah. But I think, <laughs> but I think what it also does is it does lean into what we know now, what our kids need. Um, you know, kids who know how to just play school well, sometimes are not the most successful. And so I think you're kind of, you're kind of touching on that nugget that a lot of hungry educators are also wrestling with is how do we grow kids who um, who know how to, you know, have have the emotional IQ to navigate things. Absolutely. I mean, you can't yeah. just be surly, yeah. but also who are going to be okay to kind of push back and say, that doesn't work for me. Absolutely. And, and as I've been in the classroom myself and worked with all kinds of students, I've come to um, really value and appreciate that, um, kids who are sometimes labeled deviant are really just our most divergent thinkers. And so how do we cultivate that so that they have the empathy to want to use that divergent thinking for good instead of being seen or labeled as deviant? You know, was there a teacher or someone in the educational system that really strongly influenced your life? Absolutely. And it's, it, it's hard to actually choose. Um, so I told that story about my mom. Um, one of the things that I appreciate about her is that uh, the, she was very much an involved mom and teaching. It was just so much a part of who she was that, that those two things are sort of wound up together for me. Um, I also think of um, Nikki Wilson, who was my 12th grade uh, English teacher. And she was one of those teachers who encouraged us to kind of go out on a limb and, and draw our own analyses and draw our own conclusions and read books that interested us and develop robust arguments around them. Um, and I, and I remember I had not been, um, I had been an A student in other disciplines that I didn't enjoy. I hated science. I typically did well in science. I hated math. I typically did well in math, but I loved language arts. And I, I don't think I got an A in an English class all the way through high school until 12th grade. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I finally got a little bit better or if it was the grading that changed. But um, I remember because of that, I presumed that I wasn't a strong English student and so I wanted to be a teacher and I was worried about studying language arts at the college level because I thought that meant I probably gosh my my friends get A's and they don't love it I must not 
it probably shouldn't be a career path. And um, Nikki talked to me for a long time about that and encouraged me. And I don't, I don't know if she even remembers that conversation, but uh, I was debating between going into studying Spanish or studying English. And I picked English because she gave me the courage to go out on a limb. You know, those little moments that teachers have, they do. They, they shape, matter. They matter. <laughs> they shape lives. And I also love that you talked about the grades because, you know, that's something that we, you know, in Mason, yeah. we're working on a lot to really yeah. make sure that our grades are really reflecting uh, the learning. But I also think having a little bit of a culture where, um, you know, it's it's okay to ha get a B, yeah, you know, and, 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 and struggling through that can still mean you're really good at something. Absolutely. And I, and I, um, I think like most teachers look back and I feel quite sorry for the students who had me when I was a first year teacher. Um, but I have a student, um, I had a student in her 10th grade year, uh, Danielle Peters, who graduated a few years ago. She's a fantastic kid. And I don't think she would mind me telling this story. I know she wouldn't mind me telling this story. She was in my honors English class because she had friends in there. Um, she had never taken a higher level class before. And I remember she submitted an essay and it was, it was good. It was average. I think, it, I think she had a C um, on the first essay that she submitted and she came to me and said, Hey, can we sit down? And, and just like with the most mature and most positive attitude, it wasn't about the grade. It was, you know, I, I need to figure out how to get better at writing. Can you sit down and, and work with me through this? So we, we met and we worked through the essay and we talked about how it could be better. And she said, well, will you, will you look at it again if I rewrite it? And I said, well, you know, Danielle, I can't, that's not fair to everybody else. I can't give you a different grade. And she said, oh, no, that's not what I'm asking. I'm just going to rewrite it and see what it would have gotten. Wow. So she rewrote it. She did that with every single writing assignment until we got to the end. And she was an incredibly uh, much stronger writer. And, and I think she did finish with an, with an A in the class. After that trimester, we were on trimesters then. After that trimester, I totally changed my grading system to reflect that practice because I realized how what a disservice I was doing to that child who was just desperate to learn intrinsically motivated and yet I was dangling this false carrot over her and then ultimately punishing her for her desire to learn so um so I my own experience with grades of not really understanding why I did or didn't get grades um that sort of the the bane of an English teacher's existence of that idea that's subjective and that it's just you know you kind of pick a grade all of those things as both student and teacher I've, I've learned to really fine-tune and and then I think the other piece is when you start um, when you're in a, a high school class and you start realizing you know the difference between a 89.1 which is a, a B plus and an 89.6 which gets curved to an A minus and for some kids that is college tuition money so can I really defend the difference between 0.4 like I need yes right I just need to make sure that I can and really work through those and so I think stepping out of the classroom and starting to think bigger picture about the relationships and about the purpose behind the grades um, grew me and I hope that the middle school sees that kind of leadership in me. I know that Danielle uh, is going to feel good about knowing the impact that yeah. she had on you. I think it's a powerful story because we often are asking um, adults, like who are the educators who made a difference, but yeah. hearing also the students Absolutely. that change yeah. our leaders and our, our teachers, I think is really powerful. And 
I think it also reflects something that I think about you. Um, you know, you graduated in 2006. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of young. Kind of young. <laughs> the elephant not, in the but, room. But not, I mean, uh, I mean, at the same time, I think, um, that often gives you this empathy and care and, and quite honestly, insight into kind of what young folks are thinking through and doing. But I know it also, ha it's a little bit of a double-edged sword too, of trying to kind of make sure that you have credibility with, with folks. Talk about being a young uh, female leader and, and what, yeah. I just threw in another piece, yeah, a gender piece. all kinds but, of pieces, But uh, yeah. what is that? What are some of the things you've thought through and reflected on as, as you were thinking about your own leadership and how um, and, and what that's like in, in Mason? Yeah, that's that's great. And it is it is complicated and it is a thing. Um, and I sometimes forget that it's a thing and mentors will point it out. So you're having that issue because or so. And it's like you said, it's a double edged sword. It's a there are things um, that being young, there's certain perceptions that people have of me that are. Um, that are blessings, and then there there are some that are hurdles. So, for example, approachability. I tend, tend to get people who approach me a lot more, uh, which I think is wonderful. Kids, parents, teachers feel a level of comfort coming in and talking to me. Um, but sometimes then when I have to take a firm, firmer stance, uh, my firmer stance has to be much more firm and much more clearly communicated than maybe a, a more veteran leader. And I think that probably is... Um, around the perception of age and not just actual job experience. Um, but, you know, I have always been um, very blessed to be surrounded by people who support me and champion me and also keep me grounded and, and give me perspective. And um, I have a great group of friends and family who uh, care enough about me to have the hard conversations and say, hey, you're being kind of arrogant in this way or you need to step up and do this or uh, I have a team of assistant principals I like to think and I like to think a lot and and one of them Mr. Reuter will say okay it's time to do now <laughs> like we got to stop thinking so, so I think surrounding myself with people who care enough um, about me or about the work that we're doing to uh, to make sure that I'm growing and, and, and being better uh, is a is a big part of um, overcoming hurdles and that would be true whether that's being female whether that's being young and inexperienced or whatever the next thing and I, I remember when during the interview process for the job the question came up about um, from a teacher about being in, in an inexperienced leader and I think that was the appropriate way to say you're young <laughs> and um, and what I said was if that becomes people's worst criticism of me then I'm doing a much better job than we ever anticipated I would do. At, and I do think there is, uh, you know, it's one of the things that I appreciate about you. I think you have a deep humility that comes through and a, and a, um, you know, and you're not afraid to make fun of yourself, which I think is also <laughs> endearing, but there's truth to that. And so I think that that approachability does, but, but at the end of the day, I think you have a great gut, a good <laughs> sense of what that what is right and what's needed, and you, you you make good decisions all the time. And we are grateful for your leadership at the middle school. Yeah, I do think one one thing I'll say that's kind of an interesting perception is when you're when you're a young leader and you have what people perceive to be success, and of course success is defined differently for everybody. But there's sometimes a perception that I'm. Um, working hard to climb to the next thing and um, 
And that is couldn't be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, and people who know the story of my like career journey, I think always crack up because it truly is a stumbling into the position that I'm in and then looking back and thinking, how did I get here and are you sure? <laughs> and and that's no different about being principal. But I think what what's been great about that is because because I'm not trying so hard to do the next thing and I tend to be a pretty content I, I like to do what I'm doing now well and believe that the next thing will sort of open up or reveal itself. There's not, there's not a sense of um, angst. My identity isn't tied up into those perceptions of success. And so it gives me as a leader a freedom to just kind of breathe and say, this one's not about me. So what, what do we need to do to serve the staff? What do we need to do to serve the students? Um, and I think that that's wisdom that has been passed on to me that I have to sometimes remind myself of, you know, in, in hard times. But um, it's really about, for any leader, I think that the people that you have around you coaching you and whispering truth into you. Well, and, and I know for you, a deep well that you draw on is from your faith. Absolutely. You have a strong uh, faith in, 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 in Christ. Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> that that plays a big role. How, it how does. Do, how, do you, um, how do you approach that? And, you know, people sometimes think in public schools, we're not allowed to talk. Yeah, don't touch that. Don't don't talk about (laughs) prayer. And I think every day people are praying all the time. Yeah. Talk about how you balance that, having a strong faith and and then wanting also just people to know, you know, that informs who you are and you don't leave that at the door. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think um, because it's so important to me and it's such a, it is such a personal thing, um, for me, it's about that personal spiritual journey and um, for, for believers in Christ really the, the fundamental belief there is that you're not that good of a person and nothing you do will make you that good of a person um, and so you, you mentioned the term humility for me it's just a, a right perspective of who I am in relation to God and then in relation to other people and so um, I think when you posture yourself, and of course, like I said, you have to have teams of people reminding you of who you are sometimes too, Um, but when you posture yourself understanding that, that will inevitably bleed into how you treat other people. And so for me, it's not about the behaviors of a Christian um, because, you know, what looks like a kind and generous act could be self-serving and then and then that complicates it. Is it a good act? Is it, a, is it not a good act? And so it's really about understanding my motivations um, and who I am in perspective, again, to God and to the people around me. And then, and then hopefully with help, living out a more authentic experience. And so obviously we can get into the nuances of theology and doctrine, and that's, that's not really what you're asking. It's, I think it goes back to that. It's not really a I don't know if humble people can say that they're humble. It's it's understanding who you are and who everybody is. You know, I have this I have this suspicion that if you really saw into my heart, you might not like me that much. But if I really saw into yours, I might not either. So it's just kind of understanding that. <laughs> I, I I love all the things that you deeply thought about <laughs> and how and how those have shaped you, you know, and obviously you, yeah. you've taken so many pieces that have that have put you where you are. How has your life been different than what you'd imagined? Oh, goodness. I never thought I'd be back in Mason. Um, 
Certainly. And part of that, I think, in a very healthy way, goes back to wanting to distinguish myself from, from my mom. You know, growing up, um, I was the youngest of three. My brother and sister were fabulous Mason students and people and, and still are. Um, and so I had, you know, these this perception, at least as a kid, that I was growing up in the shadows of some pretty great gen teens. <laughs> And, uh, and there are teachers who tease me to this day about being in the shadow of some pretty great gen teens when I got the principal job. One of, uh, one of the high school teachers who's very funny and I have a great relationship with sent me a congratulatory card that said, congratulations, you're still not as good of an educator as your mom, which I, I love. <laughs> like, I love that teasing. Um, so I kind of lost track of the <laughs> original. <laughs> it just where, you know, how was your life different? How, yeah, how was my life? Yeah, that I wouldn't be back in Mason is... Uh, is a big part of it. So I wanted to distinguish myself, but then I realized um, some of the immaturity of that, that uh, of course I'm my own person and also that that's my responsibility and to not find my identity in the way people per perceive me anyway. So that's a big difference. I never thought I'd be a principal and I never thought I'd be doing it this soon. Um, and this year has brought so much, there was a lot that I knew to expect in terms of the actual tasks of the job of being principal. I, I worked very closely with Mrs. McCall over the previous three years and for that purpose of just trying to understand what her work was and for the purpose of being able to support her and be a better assistant to her. Um, but I underestimated the um, sort of emotional work that comes along with, with and, and again, how I view the job of taking responsibility and serving people. So it's when things go awry, it's my responsibility to figure out the way to rectify it. Or when people are hurting because we have 160 staff who, those are real people who have real hurts or real joys. And then we have 1,800 students and their families. I mean, that's just a lot of people who bring in people celebrations and people tragedies into the building. And so... I, um, in part because I think I'm young and in part because that's just, there's no way to prepare for it was totally shocked by that part of the job. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you mentioned joys. Yeah. What, what brings you joy? I love seeing people do what they love to do with inhibition. So when I see, um, I don't have a ton of I joke around that I, I'm good at giving out lunch detentions. I don't have a ton of other skills, right? So when I see a, a musician who, a student who is playing the violin and you could tell that they love playing the violin, that it's not just a class for them and they, they can't help but kind of have a smirk on their face as they play or they get lost in the music or a student who's so excited about a writing piece that they have to share it with me, not because they want me to say that it's good, but just because they're so excited to share uh, and when teachers are, you you know, you can walk into a classroom and just feel that a teacher is is having a blast. And I, so I, I love when I get to see other people in uninhibited, total freedom, living out what they enjoy doing. So we always end these Your Story Matter podcasts with an either or. Uh-oh. You know, you've kind of talked, you come across as really warm and fuzzy. Oh, you know? yeah, 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 uh-oh. <laughs> that's not our, that's, that, that probably isn't the major describer of Lauren Gentine. Yeah, but people I, know that's but, not true. But I'm going to lean into this one. I actually think I do know the answer. Cats or dogs? Ugh, 
neither. <laughs> no, no, no animals. Well, I'm terrified of dogs, even if they look like cats. That I feel like those are the scariest ones. And then, and then cats, you just can't predict. So I'm actually afraid of all animals. Most people will know that. And uh, yeah, I'm not an animal person. <laughs> Well, just because you're not an animal person, we do love that you're a human yeah, and that yeah. you you connect with other... You cannot love dogs and have a soul. I just, like, I feel like that is a perception out there. <laughs> Lauren's proving that wrong, but she's also proving that she is the right leader for Mason Middle School. We're so glad that you joined our Your Story Matters podcast today. Remember that your story is our story. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you. We've reached the end of one of our stories. It's goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Mason City Schools Your Story Matters podcast, where we believe every unique story deserves an audience. If you know of someone who has a great story to tell, email Carson T at MasonOhioSchools.com. And don't forget to subscribe to hear more of our community stories.